The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has gotten himself into fairly deep waters facing the COVID inquiry in the UK yesterday in relation to his promoting of an eat out to help out campaign in the midst of the COVID uh, pandemic. The campaign encouraged people to go to restaurants and get businesses back on their feet, but it has been attributed as the cause for large spikes in COVID cases that at the time had uh, Rishi Sunak labelled Dr. Death. Um, With us from London is Enda Brady. Good morning, Enda. Morning, Anton. Good to speak to you again. And you, Enda. It was a, a remarkable performance by Rishi Sunak because he absolutely refused to even countenance that at any point should he have taken scientific public health or medical advice about a policy that directly impacted public health? No, he didn't take any blame whatsoever. And look, it's all about fighting for legacies here, as we saw with Boris Johnson last week. You know, Sunak knew that he wasn't going to put his hands up and say that, okay, it contributed to a spike in the virus and people died because of the decision I made. It's a fact. University researchers and scientists have studied areas where this scheme had the highest uptake, the southwest of England, 17% of a spike in the virus numbers at the time of this scheme. And we now know, because of all the leaked COVID WhatsApp messages that were given to the inquiry and what have you, um, that they were referring to him as Dr. Death, and the scheme was being referred to as eat out to help the virus. And the extraordinary thing is that it seems that his cabinet colleagues discovered this scheme, which, of course, he cooked up with uh, the Treasury when he was uh, in the Treasury. It was it, it, They only discovered the scheme at its public announcement or on the cusp of its public announcement. Yeah, and that's amazing because, as we've seen under Conservative leaders now for 13 years, Downing Street leaks like a colander. And he managed to keep the it's under the wraps and he got it right through and they found out at it much the same time as everyone else. So that in itself was an achievement. And I think perhaps that goes to show you that, you know, Sunak was desperate to make this scheme happen. Look, he has said that in regard to what the scientists were saying, he said that hospitality was opening up anyway and the scheme was a boost to people working in hospitality, in tourism, hotels, cafes, restaurants who were desperately needing numbers to come back in and give them some sort of a lift after having no business. Now, it was an expensive scheme. Most people here would say that it helped the middle classes who could afford to eat out anyway. I mean, you know, most people on decent incomes in England don't need 10 quid towards their main course. The other thing that seems odd is there is uh, there was a significant paradox in his evidence in that he kept saying that his scheme was rooted in the pre-existing public health decision to open up hospitality with certain caveats around social distancing and all that. But there was no acceptance of the fact that what he was going to do was pump prime that hospitality sector and therefore put more people into those settings than the models would have been based on. Yeah, precisely. Look, I remember the week that scheme was launched and there was a great buzz around it, hospitality opening up, everyone coming back to life. And then you went into these places and they were jammed. I like it was like it was like a pub in Ireland on Christmas Eve, some of these places. And you're thinking, well, hang on, there's no social distancing here whatsoever. This place is packed to the rafters. And you know, businesses were making good money. The government was pumping an awful lot of cash into hospitality, but the end result was the virus went off like a rocket in some areas, and many people got it and some people died. The other thing that was interesting relates to, you mentioned the discussions referring to him as Dr. Death in the WhatsApps that had been circulating. 
WhatsApp has played a significant role. Both Boris Johnson's messages, Dominic Cummings's uh, messenger, messages and so forth. Richie Sunak to the inquiry said that he changed phone a lot and therefore lost all of his WhatsApp messages. Incredible. I mean, so he he swore on the Hindu holy book. He is a Hindu. Um, and five minutes later, he was giving his evidence. And I think an awful lot of people will be saying, just tell the truth, Rishi, because no one can believe for a second that this fellow doesn't know how to back up messages on an iPhone. I mean, you'll have seen a couple of weeks ago, he was on a stage at a conference interviewing Elon Musk about artificial intelligence. And he's been painted out in the media here as like a tech bro dude, lots of friends in California. To think that Rishi Sunak doesn't know how to backup messages, pictures, emails from one phone to the next. I mean, who's he kidding? And this is a point that was put to him by Hugo Keith uh, Casey for the inquiry, where he said, even if it was just that phones were being changed, surely there was an additional level of responsibility because as Chancellor of the Exchequer, he should have been aware that any communications might be of use to a subsequent inquiry and therefore there was an onus on him to go out of his way to retain this information. Yes, they'd all been explicitly told. And, you know, Johnson had egg on his face the other day. Even memos and diaries and scrawls that he had written in the margins of various different documents came back to haunt Johnson last week. And he apologised for some of the language. Johnson in particular got caught out with referring to... I can't use the word on, on news talk, unfortunately, but referring to people with long COVID, he, he was absolutely scathing about them. Um, I'd love to know what was in Sunak's messages that he really didn't want the inquiry to see. But look, he's a sitting prime minister for probably a few more months. And right now, this COVID inquiry is the least of his worries. He's just had breakfast with this group calling themselves the New Conservatives. And there's the vote on the Rwanda bill later on today in Parliament. So he's hanging by a thread. He really is. He's facing a potential split over that vote. Just walk us through where he stands now in relation to Rwanda, because it looked like a stake had been driven through its heart by the Supreme Court. And then he went and disinterred it. So the Rwanda plan is beyond dead. OK, let me just let me just put this in terms. It is deep freezed, buried, dead and will never rise again. And Rishi Sunak has decided to plow on with it. He thinks that by changing legislation, he will be able to resurrect it. It's not going to happen. So what he's trying to do is keep all the squabbling factions of the Conservative Party happy by being tough on illegal migrants and people who come here and claim asylum. But unfortunately, what he will discover, as countless clever lawyers have worked out, you know, illegal migrants refugee seekers and asylum seekers are human beings. Britain has signed up to the European Convention on Human Rights. And while Britain is not part of the European Union, Britain cannot be geographically removed from Europe. So there's a hell of a battle on his hands today. Look, he may get the numbers from his own party, but I, th- you know, the, the Rwanda bill, 400 odd million pounds has been spent on this so far. And only three people from the UK have actually gone to Rwanda. Priti Patel, Suella Braverman and the latest Home Secretary, James Cleverly. So that's a, that's a hell of a price. And the Rwandan government must be rubbing their hands with glee with the money that's come in. It's a staggering waste of everyone's time and money. And from his perspective politically, does he need the policy, I mean, which as you describe as stone debt, is he actually attempting to get that policy reignited? 
Or is it enough that he is seen to have fought the good fight and done his best? Is that what he needs? I think, look, I think politically he, he's a dead man walking anyway, whether it's the Conservatives who get him out or the British public at the next election, possibly as early as April now, I'm hearing. He he has kind of nailed his colours to this mask. I mean, there's lots of lots of hills to die on politically. This is a strange one to choose. But make no mistake, there will be movings behind the scene this evening. If he doesn't get that bill through Parliament, Suella Braverman will be pushing people to put in letters of no confidence. And there are some who've gone in already. And he's he's in a really, really awkward position. But look, the Rwanda bill was a colossal waste of time and money. What they should have done was made friends with the French, spent more time in Paris, got Macron on board. And you'll have noticed a couple of weeks ago, um, Keir Starmer went to Paris and went and saw Macron and was given an audience. And that is very, very rare for a leader of the opposition from any country to be welcomed into the Elysee Palace in Paris and to have a day with Macron. So Starmer has worked this out. Sunak just hasn't. And as someone said to me last week from his own party, that someone said to me last week, how can this fellow be so bad at politics? And thank you very much for coming on this morning. That is Enda Brady there from London. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.